The CDC's new recommendations bringing tough decisions for local cities and schools. Today we'll hear from Governor Eric Holcomb, Mayor Joe Hogsett, and Marion County Health Director Dr. Virginia Kane. Plus, the Senate reaches a deal on infrastructure, and the House investigates the attacks on the Capitol. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning, state health officials urging Hoosiers to follow the new CDC recommendations on masks as cases continue to rise here in Indiana. But still, for the most part, no new restrictions coming from the state or local governments here in our area as health officials urge people to follow the CDC's new recommendations on masks. With schools coming back in session at full capacity, I encourage every district to follow these recommendations. These are now local decisions, but the guidance is universal. All right, that was a briefing Friday. State House reporter Kristen Eskow was there at that briefing. And obviously a lot of talk right now, a lot of questions about this coming school year. Many kids headed back to school either tomorrow or Tuesday. That's right, Dan. And Governor Holcomb sounded off on this earlier this week, just a couple of days ago. He was telling schools they should do everything possible to make sure kids stay in the classroom this fall. Parents and school leaders are trying to keep up with the changing COVID guidance from officials. A little confusing, but, you know, you just stay on top of it and uh, listen what's going on. And Interestingly enough, this is the third time we've changed in the last two weeks. Wayne Township Superintendent Jeff Butt says hours after the CDC announcement and the night before school started, he recommended fully vaccinated teachers and students wear a mask. It was already required for those who have not been vaccinated. He says so far, most people are taking the CDC's advice. In the elementary schools that I visited, uh, I would estimate somewhere around 90% of our staff had them on. Of course, 100% of our children had them on. Uh, in the junior highs that I went to, uh, I was probably closer to 80% of our staff. I would recommend taking every safe step possible, imaginable, doable, uh, to keep the kiddos in school. Governor Eric Holcomb told me this week he doesn't want to see students face any additional learning loss this school year. There are steps that schools can take, many are, uh, as they go back, they've stated, about distancing, about masking. Now, Holcomb also says he's most worried about those who are eligible to get vaccinated yeah. but don't have any antibodies for protection because they haven't gotten vaccinated right. and they haven't yet had the virus. And he says he wants to see the FDA give the vaccines full approval as soon as possible to encourage more people to get vaccinated. I want to see uh, the EUA, the emergency use authorization, turned into permanent. I do hear and I do understand parents, students, who are waiting until it becomes permanent. Uh, I just spent a few days with about over 20 other governors. And I think to a person, we were all kind of scratching our head as to when will this become permanent? We have millions who have been treated. Uh, the trials have been conducted. This needs to become permanent. And I also asked Governor Holcomb whether he would require the vaccine for state employees, as we've seen in California or New York. He says for now he's leaning against that. But of course, Indiana did pass a law earlier this year that banned state and local governments from requiring or issuing vaccine passports. Yeah, a lot of recommendations, no requirements at this point. In terms of the full approval for the vaccine, you also heard something very similar this week from Congressman Larry Bouchon. Yeah, that's right, Dan. The, he thinks that that could eventually end up making a difference in terms of getting more people vaccinated. 
how concerned are you, especially as we're seeing the Delta variant really take hold? Well, I'm concerned in Indiana because the vac vaccination rate is uh, relatively low. I think nationally it's about 58%. In the Congress, it's over 85%. In certain areas of the country, it's high. So yeah, the Delta variant uh, spreads more rapidly. I don't think it's going to turn out to be more dangerous than the other variants. It just spreads more easily. Let me just say this also, you know, we're trying to get the timeline from the Food and Drug Administration on final approval of these vaccines. They're under an emergency use authorization, as you know, and I think some people are a little nervous about that. They think they're still experimental, which they're not, but I do think formal approval from the FDA, if that can be done, would be helpful. To get vaccinations up, do you believe private businesses should require the vaccine? Well, let me just say this. As a government official, I don't think government should uh, require medical therapy. So, you know, I think the private sector, that's their own decision. I'm not going to comment on individual uh, private sector organizations and what they think is right. Government certainly should not be mandating medical procedures of any kind, including vaccinations. What government should be doing is giving all the information to the American people and letting them, along with their physician and their family, make the decision that's right for them. And a lot of controversy this week in Congress about new mask mandates from the House Speaker. Congressman Bouchon introducing a bill that would provide some nonpartisan oversight for those kinds of decisions in Congress. Okay, Kristen Eskow, thank you so much. Uh, Congressman Bouchon this week also saying he felt the new guidance from the CDC was, quote, disappointing, a backward step in instilling vaccine confidence at a time when we need it to be high. Also, Congressman Andre Carson weighing in saying... The spread of the COVID-19 Delta variant is a reminder this pandemic is far from over and that we must stay vi vigilant, encouraging people to get vaccinated. Well, this week we also spoke with Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett, who says he's still assessing the situation here in Indy. As other big cities move ahead with reinstating mask mandates, Indianapolis has not made that move yet. We're still just a bit over a 5% positivity rate. And most public health experts will tell you a 5% positivity rate is where you want to be. So I can't say it enough. Get the shot in the arm and you won't have to worry about the, the Delta variant. Obviously, some of those numbers have gone up since we spoke with the mayor in terms of our positivity rate. This week, Marion County Health Director Virginia Kane spoke with reporters about the Delta variant and some of the big events now here in our state, like the Indiana State Fair. Bianca Reyes has more. We could be... Uh, back where we were before, unless this community takes on a greater responsibility of getting more people vaccinated. The risk of catching COVID-19 continues to ramp up in Marion County, officially being listed on the CDC's website as an area with substantial transmission. That means we were experiencing, by their criteria, at least 63 cases uh, per 100,000 population on a seven-day average. Dr. Virginia Kane says that positivity rate is getting even higher, something especially concerning with the state fair just days away. Generally speaking, we draw um, on, in a typical year with a typical fair around 890,000 people over the course of the entire fair. State fair officials say masks will still be optional for fully vaccinated Hoosiers and strongly encouraged for unvaccinated Hoosiers. We do have uh, safety measures in place uh, to make sure that the Indiana State Fair is a safe experience for everyone involved. Those safety measures include cashless payments, vaccination tents, and hand washing stations. But Dr. Kane says she would take things one step further. 
I think if there's a large number of folks attending and you think that you can't do the social distancing, I think you need to be masked outdoors. All right, that was Bianca Reyes reporting. The State Fair, of course, underway this weekend here in Indianapolis. Meantime, in Washington, the U.S. Senate now debating a tentative agreement to fund President Biden's infrastructure spending bill. There's debate on how much that final plan should cost and how the government can afford to pay for it. Some say the $1.2 trillion price tag is too much, while others say it's not enough. Now, this week, I had the chance to speak with Indiana Senator Mike Braun, who voted against moving forward with that current infrastructure deal, despite acknowledging that he agrees with a number of the items in that bill. The problem here is we never look at the underlying issues, like the fact we haven't done a budget in 20 years and that we borrow almost all the money that we spend here. And I like the policy mostly embedded in it, but these are not hard pay-fors. You never run any other entity, government or business, in that fashion. What does this mean, though, for Indiana's roads and bridges, which obviously uh, could use some infusion uh, from the federal government, no matter what kind of deal comes out of this? Whether you like how it's being paid for, yep. Indiana might still benefit from some of the things that are, are being discussed in this well, number one number one dan it's gonna happen okay so there's not gonna uh, th this bill is gonna pass and so this is a protest I, vote on your end more it or less. is and it has been on most things since i've been here and i always explain it accordingly because if you if someone doesn't do that uh our kids and grandkids are going to have not only a, an inflation bomb but a debt bomb to deal with Senator Todd Young, by the way, did vote to move forward with the debate on that bill. Also in Washington this week, the first hearing of the Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Democracies are not defined by our bad days. We're defined by how we come back from bad days. Many more lives might have been lost, and the rioters could have accomplished what they set out to do. Now, after the hearing, we also heard from Indiana Congressman Jim Banks, who was blocked from serving on that committee by Speaker Nancy Pelosi. It's clear at this point that Nancy Pelosi has cherry-picked the members to serve on this committee. She's pre-written a narrative. Only members who will stick to her talking points are allowed to serve on this committee. The committee could hold its next hearing as early as next month. Of course, there's been a lot of talk about our election since the events of January 6th. Congress working on election reform. Various states also taking up bills dealing with election law that have already caused some controversy. This week we had a chance to talk with Indiana Secretary of State Holly Sullivan, who says she's not in favor of new legislation here. Indiana's been a leader in voter access, quite honestly, and something to be very proud of. Um, I always say that, you know, we've had the steady hand on the wheel of our elections process for many years. We've just had a very steady, strong, secure process around our elections in Indiana. We are also one of the first states to be able to increase um, voter access to registering to vote online um, several years back. And we continue to look at ways in which we can make it convenient and readily accessible to our voters. More of that interview on our website and next week. Coming up this Sunday in Focus, we're going to talk with our panel about this week's top stories at the State House, including the latest from the Health Department and the looming fight over redistricting. Next.
All right, we're joined now by our panel, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, Democratic strategist Laura Beck, 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign Tony Samuel, and Bill Moreau from the Indiana Citizen. Mike, I'm going to start with you here on the state and local response to Delta. Health officials speaking Friday, but no significant new safety measures being taken here locally, as other cities and states have done. Is, is there simply too much fatigue or, or political opposition here to add any additional safety measures? And what does that say about where we are right now in this fight? Well, no, I, I don't think it's, and there's a lot of fatigue, certainly, but I don't think that's driving decision-making. I think Dr. Box, the state level, and Dr. Kane, the local level, have been trusted health, public health people for, for decades. And so I think they're following the science. The, the fact is that the reason they aren't going to a mandate and just advisory is because 99% of the people who are getting this Delta variant are unvaccinated. So sometimes you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And we're trying to get the unvaccinated to get vaccinated, but you know we won't be 100% uh, successful. And as we do start to hear about more breakthrough cases, that obviously the vaccine helps prevent in terms of severe hospitalization or death. You are hearing about more potential cases. The CDC mentioning that a lot of questions, though a lot of confusion about the new recommendations, Laura, as it relates to both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. What, what's your reaction to all of this? And what do you make of the dynamic and the angst that now exists over this new wave of COVID we're experiencing? Well, I think one of the challenges is, and um, I was thinking about this earlier with Mike and I, you know, we both work in public relations and uh, a lot of times we will tell clients, you don't have a messaging problem, you have a business problem. And I think the CDC has a business problem and that coronavirus and COVID and this new variant, it is not absolute. It is constantly changing and it is really hard to message to a very fatigued, very weary public, very suspicious public about um, a disease that really feels like it has no end um, and changes all the time. And so I think that has really, that has complicated things. But as Mike said earlier, I mean, vaccination is really the way to prevent it. And I, I thought it was interesting that Mayor Hogg said, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said earlier that I really don't make these regulations. You do. You have the responsibility to go out to get your vaccine. And what we're also seeing, I think, especially with some of the vaccine issues um, and even the breakthrough infections, are that talk to your doctor, listen to the scientist, have conversations with people you know who've had the vaccine um, about their experiences. Because if you are on the fence, now is a great time to get it, especially before kids go back to school. All right, let's change gears here. We've got another significant issue on the agenda at the State House here in the coming weeks. We're talking about redistricting. And Bill, this is something your organization is looking at closely. What's the potential impact here for Indiana voters? And why is it something they should be paying attention to more closely? Well, once every 10 years, uh, we uh, have to do uh, redistricting. Uh, we have to, uh, the General Assembly, uh, pursuant to the Indiana Constitution and, and statute, has to consider the congressional district lines and the state Senate and state uh, House maps uh, as well. This process was delayed uh, in 2021 because the census data that they rely on uh, was delayed. But at the end of this week, Friday and Saturday, uh, the House and Senate uh, election committees um, are going to start uh, public hearings around the state. Each of the uh, nine congressional de uh, delegate, uh, each of the nine congressional districts, and take testimony from the public about uh, 
how, how the maps ought to be drawn. I, I'm telling you, they're going to get an earful. They, they are absolutely going to get an earful because uh, the maps that have been play, in place uh, for the last uh, 10 years have been the product of gross uh, partisan gerrymandering. And it wasn't just the Republicans. Mike, I, this is, as you know, you've been around. You, you, you saw what happened in 2001 when the Democrats were in control of the House, and you saw what happened in 1991 when the Democrats were in charge of the House. Gerrymandering seems to be the sport that's played yeah. by the party in power, but it is detrimental okay. to the civic health uh, it, of Indiana. Gerrymandering has a way yeah. of predetermining the outcome of elections in advance, okay. and that has a depressing effect on uh, on turnout. And, and, you know, fully uh, sure. fully thirty percent of the members of the House and thirty percent of the members of the Indiana Sev uh, Senate never had an opponent. Right. Did not have an opponent, it, it, and uh, that has a negative effect. Okay. On okay. Uh, Tony, Tony, you've also worked in the in the halls of the state house. You've seen this process play out in previous years. Uh, your reaction to what Bill said there? Well, let me let me put it this way: uh, in the 2011 uh, redistricting, uh, it matches up with 85 percent of prosecutors' districts around the state, 82 percent of sheriffs, 77 percent of mayors. So, what they did in 2011 matches uh, not, not just what they did for congressional districts and the state house races, but it matches throughout the state. So it was a fair process uh, introduced in the House and amended in the Senate. Uh, you know, all parties, they, they took input from the other parties. This time around, they're taking more and more public input. Uh, there's a system through Ivy Tech, as I understand it, where the public can, can give their um, their choices for, for maps and districts. And uh, the last time around, in 2011, Julia Vaughn of Common Cause had stated that it was uh, a, a good redistricting, uh, that, the, that the maps looked good. So, okay. you know, th th there's all kinds of uh, public input, and, as, as Bill stated. And so, you know, okay. we'll, we'll look for a fair process. Yeah, here. we'll see how that process um, plays out. It could have an impact in terms of uh, control of Congress, our congressional districts, et cetera. Let's talk about uh, some of the news in Congress this week. Laura, you had the infrastructure bill, Senator Young, Senator Braun voting differently there on whether or not to move ahead with that debate. What did you make of the two senators here from Indiana splitting their vote on that big issue this week? Well, I thought Todd Young sounded like a guy who's going to be up on the ballot first, um, especially because he was talking about um, why he voted for it, especially because of the impact it's going to have on Indiana. Um, and even in his statement, he really, and in his rationale for it, he really cited um, the, the, the reasons behind the crumbling infrastructure that we have. Um, I also think it's a, an important point to make that an infrastructure like bill like this is also going to be a major job creator, too. Um, so it certainly certainly helps to have uh, have to support that in the election year. Um, on Senator Braun's, on, on his piece, I think um, it's easier when you're not on the ballot to be the to be a little bit more ideological about it. He brings up some some good points, but I think this is one of the reasons why it's really important in the Senate. Um, that we are seeing this bipartisan work that's being done, um, especially with um, the, the group of 10, these, yeah. these senators who are working together. And Braun won't be uh, on the ballot, as you mentioned, until 2024. Mm -hmm. We'll see if that's for Senate or for governor, perhaps. I asked him about that this week. He's uh, not decided which way yet either. Mike, your reaction to all of this? Well, first of all, I think it's, it's really, uh, it shows the different styles the two senators have. They're both small town, Southern Indiana guys, but, but, uh, T Todd Young is very, very pragmatic. He sees a little bit of longer view on the on the political side. Uh, Mike Braun 
is right as well, frankly. He is the, the anti-deficit guy, which I just love, but neither one is wrong. It's just a matter of taking, you know, looking at the mirror two different ways. There's an old saying in politics, if you can't argue both sides of an issue, you don't belong there. Okay, Mike, thank you so much. Thank you for arguing all sides of these uh, topics with us this week. We're going to talk with one of the potential candidates in the race for governor in 2024. Coming up next, stick around. Well, it's still three years away, but we are already starting to talk about the 2024 race for governor as several possible candidates work behind the scenes to try and raise money for a potentially crowded primary. One candidate has already entered the race, more or less, former IEDC chair Eric Doden, who spoke this week with Dirk Rowley from our affiliate in Fort Wayne. Just a twofold thing that we've been able to do when I work for state government under uh, Governor Pence is one is we were able to, to be a good partner because uh, the state needs to partner with our local, uh, our local uh, government and also our local private sector. And being a good partner is important, but also we can educate. So one of the things that we do is we're taking best practices from around the state and some things we've learned as we've tried to do this in other places. In the meantime, when you look at some of the potential GOP candidates for governor, Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch with more than a million dollars in her campaign coffers. Doden, though, raised nearly a million dollars himself. Attorney General Todd Rokita reporting just over $300,000 on hand. Recently, he spoke with our Melissa Crash about a hot-button topic in the news dealing with what is or isn't taught in our schools. We've got more of that interview for you on our website. Stick around. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Laura, I'll start with you. Um, teachers are my winners this week. Um, they're going back to school and appreciate everything they're doing to keep our, our, our kids safe. Um, my loser, it's all of us if we don't get vaccinated. So please, please get a vaccine. Tony? My winner for the week is Rex Early, an Indiana political legend. I was at his 87th birthday party this week. He's still as tough and funny and, and uh, sharp as ever. Happy birthday to Rex. Mike? Well, only one winner this week. Sue Finkham, the president of the Carmel City Council, led an investigation into the cost overrun scandal at the Carmichael Hotel. Okay. Apparently no criminal charges, but lots of blame to go around. Bill? Well, if the maps are drawn uh, fairly and they promote uh, competition, the people of Indiana will be the winners. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.